The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks trying to get back on track, now three days removed from the Fed's latest policy decision. RBC Capital Markets' Lori Calvacina is coming up on where we go from here. Getting some Reddit love, the CEO of one of the recently hot stocks in the market speaks out over his company's latest run higher. He says retail investors, quote unquote, just get it. TikTok ban, take two. The White House ramping up a possible new swath of restrictions against several popular Chinese smartphone apps. Back on the green as the second round of the 121st U.S. Open kicks off today at Torrey Pines in San Diego. 150 golfers vying for the title and a $2.5 million check. And Juneteenth, now a national holiday. We'll take a closer look at diversity when it comes to boardrooms and just how far we've come in the past 12 months. It is Friday, June 18th, 2021. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and happy Friday to everyone out there. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. We are kicking today off with stock futures showing some very modest moves. It's been a pretty rough week for a lot of folks out there. The Dow is implied lower by roughly 15 points. The S&P just about flat. And the Nasdaq has been continuing a recent streak of outperforming broader measures of the overall market. Now, it's been a rough few days for the blue chip stocks. The Dow coming off its first four-day losing streak since late January, now down for the second week in a row, barring a huge move to the upside today. Of course, we'll see what happens. On the other hand, though, technology coming in hot after snapping a two-day losing streak. The Nasdaq 100 back in record territory and on pace for its first five-week winning streak since August. We are also watching bond yields, of course, with the 10-year now back above 1.5%. Well, now it's drifting below 1.48%, the last trade there. On the two-year side of things, you can see a move higher to just around 21 basis points over the week, but dropping ever so slightly today. Again, 21 basis points or 0.21% for the two-year Treasury note yield. And your morning crypto check, of course. There are some volatile parts of the market more than others. Bitcoin right now up roughly close to one half of 1%. On coin metrics, they say it's about 37,866. We're also seeing Ether up there about just about flat, 2341 as well. Let's get to some of this morning's top stories. Bertha Coombs is here. Good Friday morning, Bertha. Hey, good Friday to you, Dom. Boeing's biggest 737 MAX model is reportedly set to take its initial flight as soon as today, marking another milestone in a comeback since the fleet's lengthy grounding. According to reports, the MAX 10 will be the first 737 model to take its maiden flight since U.S. regulators cleared the runway back in November. The jetliner is not expected to enter commercial service until 2023, 
providing extra leeway as Boeing works with regulators. Boeing shares at this hour up one and a quarter percent. Meantime, Carnival Cruise Line owned Princess Cruises says it plans to resume service from Los Angeles, San Francisco and Fort Lauderdale as soon as this fall. The announcement comes after collaboration with government officials and evolving guidance from the CDC, which earlier this week eased its stance on travel safety for vaccinated passengers. Carnival shares have been on a hot streak this year. This morning, taking a look, uh, can't quite see them yet. There we go. They're up uh, fractionally right now, about seven-tenths of a percent. But look at that, a 32% increase here to date. And eBay is reportedly set to sell its South Korean business to local consortium, to a local consortium for $3.1 billion. According to the Financial Times, the group, which is led by the country's largest brick-and-mortar retailer, Emart, and internet group Naver, plans to buy an 80% stake in eBay Korea, with the U.S. company holding on to the remaining 20% stake. I hope I said that right, Dom. I don't know if it's Naver or Naver. Well, it's, we'll stick with what you said first and then go from there. How about that, Bertha? But retail is certainly a big theme in e-commerce these days. (laughs) Thank you very much, Bertha. Appreciate that. We'll see you later on. Back to the broader markets now. Your next guest says the recent decline in bond yields, aside from the brief pop following the Fed meeting this week, could be a possible signal some major macro indicators are in the process of peaking. Yes, peaking. Let's bring in Lori Calvacina, head of equity strategy for the U.S. at RBC Capital Markets. Lori, great to have you with us. I, I was reading your note. It's titled what the 10 year could be telling us. So what is the 10 year Treasury note yield telling us, investors, everybody about what the markets hold in the future? Let's say it was the number one question that we got over the past couple of weeks, Dom. And we did put this piece out before the Fed meeting yesterday. I mean, I think you could have gotten, you know, sort of whiplash kind of following things the last couple of days post that Fed meeting on the on the yields. But at any rate, we tried to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and say, what the heck is going on? Because I think it did confuse a lot of equity people. And we the first thing that jumps to my mind when you talk to me about 10 year yields. Remember, I'm an equity strategist, not a fixed income strategist. Um, but ISM and the 10 year yield have basically been the same cycle since the financial crisis. And we care a heck of a lot about ISM because it tends to dictate a lot of sector trades within the U.S. equity market. And we went back and looked at just the move that we've seen, and we thought it was pretty commensurate with the downtick that we've started to see in the ISM. So this week, I know everybody was watching the Fed. They certainly gave us a lot to think about the other day. But we were actually watching the Empire Manufacturing Survey, and we were also watching the Philly Fed Regional Survey. And what we saw in both of those headline indicators was declines and misses in expectations. And so we think that sort of boosted in our minds the possibility that ISM is set for downdraft. So the question is, as an investor, what do you do about it? We still like cyclicals longer term, but near term, we think it makes the case for playing some of the classic defenses uh, like healthcare, like you mentioned earlier, has been doing so well. I mean, Laurie, so, so, so I mean, when we say the word peak or trough, I mean, that's that's a timing yeah. mechanism. That's a timing. That, that, that means to say that things are at least in the near term, like you said, at the top. There could be more attractive levels ahead. We've noticed that the pullbacks have become shallower and shallower since the great financial crisis. And yes, you can say central banks are part yes. of that story. So just how deep of a pullback, even if it's short term, would it be before you expect buyers to step in to take advantage of those four, five, six, maybe even eight to 10 percent discounts or more? It's 
It's, it's a great point and it's a great question. And frankly, I've told people, I'm not sure that I would do a whole heck of a lot about this. We are sticking with our cyclical weights, long overweights longer term on things like financials. But we did look to another indicator to try to get a sense of how deep this could go. And that's looking at the rate of change in S&P 500 EPS growth, which looks like it's also probably peaking in terms of the rate of change, not the dollar level, but the rate of change this quarter. Two of the last three times when we've come out of a recession and we've made that early cycle peak in S&P EPS growth, Growth. Markets have been down six months later, very modestly, but up 12 months later. And if you look at the peak to trough move, it's been about eight, nine percent two of the past three times. So in my mind, that's the kind of decline we might be looking for here, not characterizing the entire second half of the year, but a good old swing lower, you know, just sort of down at, at about that level at some point during the course of this, uh, the second half. So, so Lori, uh, uh, when you're putting your models together and trying to put valuations in, into the mix here, you, you mentioned that there's a possible deceleration, not, not a total uh, yeah. annihilation of, uh, of earnings growth, but it's just not going to grow as quickly anymore. There are those that argue that the markets right now are bubblicious, maybe even overvalued, maybe stretched to the upside. Do you believe that the market is stretched right now, given what you think earnings will do acceleration-wise in the coming months? So I think that, you know, we are definitely at sort of the top of the end of the of the P.E. range. I mean, it depends on what metric you look at. And frankly, most asset classes are overvalued these days. So I don't know that equities are necessarily that worse off than others. Um, but if we look at a P.E. multiple, you know, we've been baking into our 4325 target this year, a 21.6 times P.E. multiple at year end based on, you know, some fairly conservative uh, relative to the, you know, other strategists, at least um, earnings numbers for next year. So I do have a pretty high multiple baked in at the end of the year. I have a hard time really seeing any further expansion beyond that, um, just just given, you know, kind of where we are in the cycle and some of the pressures that we see coming down the pike. Um, but look, I do think valuations just from a bottom up level are are a reason to be concerned. We talk to a lot of investors who get sticker shock, stock pickers who do nothing but pick stocks are still struggling with valuations. And so I do think that creates some downward pressure. You know, one of the things we've told people is if you really want to play defense in the short term, you do need to think about valuation a little bit here. And so we like something like healthcare in the short term, which is giving you some really tremendous valuation appeal at this moment in time. I'm much more wary of something like technology, which has recently become the second most overvalued sector in the S&P 500 again. Um, and I will tell you, investors care about valuation in a way that they did not in the past. So I do think you have to take that concern seriously. Well, certain investors do, maybe not the meme stock investors or maybe in That's certain crypto <laughs> areas of the market. Uh, Lori, I, I'm also wondering, fr- from your standpoint, are, are there any tea leaves that you look at, leading indicators perhaps, uh, parts of the equity market that you think could signal things. We've talked in the past about transportation stocks and companies doing that kind of thing. We've talked about semiconductor stocks being that kind of an indicator. Are, Are there things that you are keying on right now, certain industry groups that you say, hey, you should pay attention to these. They could be a leading indicator. I would say, you know, we always watch the banks very closely. And, and, you know, after the Fed announcement the other day, we did get a nice move in the financials that clearly faded. Um, but I do think we can watch the financials as a bit of a barometer because ultimately they should benefit from higher short term rates. So we can keep an eye there. But I'll tell you the one thing I'm watching. I'm an old small cap strategist. Um, I still love to watch the Russell 2000 relative to the S&P. And we did see, you know, some flattening out in the Russell uh, starting basically around March when the bond deal started to trade sideways. Um, and we've we've seen a decent amount of stability there, though. 
So I think that small caps were sort of pricing in very early on some of the slowdown and this rate of change. They were pricing in some of the margin pressures that were coming. Um, and I think small caps have the ability to sort of give us a clue, you know, once we kind of made it through, you know, kind of this, uh, I don't want to say precarious, but this more sort of, uh, you know, uh, wary, uh, you know, sort of a nefarious, you know, little moment we're having in the market here. I think they'll give us a good clue when things are on the upswing again. They certainly did tell us something kind of since the depths of the pandemic, for sure. They've been that gauge of the reopening trade, so yes. to speak. Lori Calvacina at RBC Capital. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. You too. All right. When we come back on the show, your Friday morning, big money movers, including one stock set to open at an all time high. There's your mystery chart right there. Plus, retail guru Stacy Widlitz is here with her stocks to watch ahead of what's expected to be a very busy weekend and week for the overall sector. And it's official now. Juneteenth, a national U.S. holiday. The conversation about diversity in boardrooms, more front and center than ever these days. Our Frank Holland reports on that ahead. A very busy hour still coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up, Adobe. Second quarter earnings and revenues beating forecasts on continued strong demand for its cloud software. The maker of Photoshop and other media and marketing apps is also expecting third quarter results to come in above analyst estimates. Those shares up nearly 3% in the pre-market trade. Next up, Bristol-Myers and Japan's A-Side. They've struck a deal worth up to $3.1 billion to develop jointly and market an experimental cancer drug in the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Asia. A-Side's drug, which is in the early stages of development, would treat solid tumors, including ovarian, lung, and breast cancers. Bristol-Myers flat pre-market, A-Side in Japan, up about 6%. And finally, Smith & Wesson, the gunmaker, says fourth quarter sales surged by nearly 70 percent, while earnings did top forecasts by 10 percent. The company is also boosting its dividend by 60 percent and launching a new $50 million stock buyback program. Smith & Wesson brands up about five and a half percent in the pre-market trade. We're still on deck for the show. Hot Wheels NFTs, a virtual pet comeback and restaurant spending boom. Your top trending stories coming up ahead. Today's big number, $178.1 billion. That's how much stock S&P 500 companies bought back during the first quarter of 2021. That's a jump of nearly 37% over the prior quarter. 
At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Now an official U.S. national holiday, Juneteenth commemorates the end of slavery in the United States when Union soldiers told the last enslaved African Americans in Galveston, Texas, that they were free. More than two years, by the way, after the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation back in 1862. Fast forward more than 150 years, and the issue of race and diversity is still being discussed in communities and boardrooms across our great nation. Our own Frank Holland joins us now with that Juneteenth story. Good morning, Frank. Hey, good morning to you, Dom. Well, black representation on corporate boards nearly tripled in 2020. 28% of new directors for public and private Fortune 500 companies were black. According to a new report from Hydric and Struggles, 425 vacant or created independent board seats were filled, 114 by black directors, 35 went to Asian directors, a 1% increase from 2019, 18 going to Latino directors, a 1% decrease. The report also finds 75% of those black director appointments were made after the killing of George Floyd on May 25th, as many corporations increased their focus on social and economic inequality. Women saw their appointments decrease from a record 44 percent in 2019 to 41 percent last year. However, the forecast is for women to make up 50 percent of new directors by 2023. Saw more women leaders uh, join boards. We also over time saw more women leaders in the executive suite. Right. And I'm hopeful that as we have more diverse representation on boards, right, Um, you will get more diverse representation in the executive suite. Current and former CEOs and CFOs filling board seats also declined double digits as companies looked beyond the C-suite for diversity. Dom, back over to you. Frank, you mentioned fewer CEOs and CFOs being appointed to those boards. Is there a reason for that? I mean, they're supposed to bring the expertise, right? They're the ones who are supposed to have that experience and advising on those types of matters. Why the drop off? Well, you know, that's certainly been the traditional thinking, Dom. It's two factors. One of them is that obviously people are looking for more diversity and there's just fewer CFOs and CEOs who are black, Latino and Asian. On the other side, according to this report, boards are looking for people that actually touch the business on a daily basis more. So they're looking for more profit and loss managers, people that lead divisions and have more of that technical experience in things like cybersecurity or accounting. All right. So it's very much skills based there. Uh, a trend to watch. Certainly. Frank Holland, thank you very much. I'm sure you'll, we'll see you throughout thank the course you. of the day here talking about this big story around Juneteenth. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines as well. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Friday morning, Francis. Hi, Dom. Happy Friday to you. Yeah, severe weather is affecting much of the country. The historic pre-summer heat wave continues to surge across the United States. Excessive heat warnings are impacting tens of millions as record-breaking temperatures continue to bake much of the nation. And a tropical storm warning has been issued for part of the Gulf Coast, including metropolitan New Orleans, as the tropical system gains strength in the Gulf of Mexico. Up to 12 inches of rain is possible. 
Victoria's Secret is ditching its famous angels and bringing in activists and athletes as the new face of the brand. They include Megan Rapino, Priyanka Chopra, and LGBTQ model and activist Valentina Sampiao. The clothing retailer says its new campaign will focus on recruiting diverse women. The decision comes after the Victoria's Secret fashion show was canceled in 2019 amid declining sales and attention for the brand. Naomi Osaka's return to the court will be a little further away than Wimbledon. The tennis superstar withdrew from the tournament, which starts later this month. Her agent released a statement saying Osaka will be taking personal time with friends and family and that she'll be ready for the Olympics next month when she withdrew first time at Dom. We saw all the support that went in there. I'm sure that's going to be the same this time around. Absolutely. And bringing a little bit more attention to that key mm -hmm. issue of mental health among everybody out there. So certainly a big story ahead there. Francis Rivera, thank you very much. Have a sure nice thing. weekend. You too. All right. Coming up on the show, cheering on the Reddit crowd. What one CEO is saying about his company's newfound fame on the message boards. And if you have not already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange each morning, check us out on Apple or Spotify or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, audio format. We'll be right back. Feeling the Fed hangover. Stocks struggling to regain ground after yesterday's policy decision, or Wednesday's policy decision, rather. Black cloud over retail ahead of Amazon's 2021 Prime Day later this month, and it could mean higher prices for consumers. Plus, we'll say it again. Have we reached peak NFT? What Hot Wheels and Mattel are planning for the uncommon collector. It's Friday, June 18th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning, and here is how stock futures are looking. Halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour, we will call them stable right now. The Dow is implied higher by just about 10 points. The S&P is just about flat. And the Nasdaq is implied higher by roughly 27 points as well at the opening bell. Markets are continuing to feel a bit of a Fed hangover. Now three days removed from its latest policy decision. Interest rates, of course, still a key focus. Shorter side and longer side. A lot of traders caught on the wrong side of that trade here with regard to the overall yield dynamic, betting on a bigger gap between short and long term rates. You can see there those curved steepeners, so to speak, have come off a little bit. Now we are tighter. That's narrowing down between the 10 year yield and two year yield and other parts of the market as well. The U.S. dollar also heading for its best week in nearly nine months after seeing its best day since March of 2020. The dollar index currently right now just about flat, 91.86 the last trade there. And gold set for their worst week in more than eight months. You can see there just about 1% of the upside today, gaining back a little bit of ground. COMEX gold currently 1793 spot 40, coming off a more than 4.5% move lower in yesterday's trade. Gold now is down about 5.5% this week and a third down week in a row for that yellow metal. Also worth checking out what's happening with the financial sector overall. The financial sector spider ETF, the ticker XLF, is down one quarter of one percent. It's down four percent over the last week. Financials always a key focus around Fed interest rate decisions. Now to some of this morning's top headlines. Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha. 
Hey, Dom. The Biden administration is reportedly looking to collect information about some Chinese apps. Reuters says a new executive order to subpoena information is possible, and then President Biden may negotiate terms for continued use or actually ban the apps. The White House goal here is to prevent foreign adversaries from being able to access large amounts of personal information. The CEO of a so-called Reddit name is speaking out. Clean Energy Fuel's Andrew Littlefair talking to Mad Money's Jim Cramer about recent enthusiasm in his stock. I've read a lot of these posts and it seems like they get it. I mean, one of the things that comes through again and again is they said, hey, these guys are clean energy. Take something nobody wants, clean it up, put it in a vehicle, make money and save the planet. Shares of the company are up more than 40 percent so far this year. Looks like actually 425 percent, if my uh, eyes do not deceive me, actually. And in IPO news this morning, Bloomberg is reporting Uber and Lyft rival Via Transportation is working with a bank and could be ready to go public within the next six months. Dom? All right, Bertha Coombs, thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. Let's talk about the consumer now and the retail industry overall. Amazon's Prime Day is scheduled for Monday and Tuesday. Rivals like Walmart, Target, and Kohl's already stepping up their games, adding their own bargain day deals at the same time to compete with the tech and retail giant. But there's a huge black cloud hanging over all of this. Let's bring in SW Retail Advisors President and Deal Make Hers co-founder, Stacy Woodless. Stacy, dark cloud. It sounds dramatic, but there is cause for concern. What exactly is overhanging Amazon Prime Day and all of the retail competitive landscape that surrounds it? Well, Don, there's no doubt that the consumer demand is on fire, but the I think I think we've lost Stacey Woodlitz for a second there. We'll try to get her back up and running again. But still, uh, hopefully she'll come back technology-wise. Coming up on the show, though, big names and big bets ahead of a big sports weekend. Our own Jabari Young is here with what to watch for the U.S. Open, the 121st installment. Torrey Pines in San Diego, a municipal golf course. But first, as we head to break, some of your top stories other than that. Carnival Cruise Lines disclosing a recent data breach targeting guests and employees. The company had noticed the suspicious activity back in March, after which it hired a cybersecurity firm to investigate the breach. The company adding that there is, quote, low likelihood of the data having been misused. The House Judiciary Committee will be voting on a package of six antitrust bills on Wednesday targeting the market power of big technology companies. Two bills address the possible anti-competitive size of companies like Amazon and Google. And one bill would force companies to sell some of their businesses if they are seen to be too large. We'll watch those big tech trades in the pre-market. And new data showing that Americans spend more than a quarter of their time, TV time, on streaming services. That's according to data from Nielsen. Streaming accounts for 26% of all TV consumption time. That's up 20% last year. Cable and network TV still account for 64%, so still the big majority there. Robot Exchange will be right back. All right, welcome back. Now to the consumer again. A big retail weekend on tap here. Back with us is SW Retail Advisors President and Dealmakers co-founder Stacey Woodless. 
Stacy, before we were so rudely interrupted by broadband connectivity issues, we were talking about some of the competitive landscape around Amazon Prime Day and perhaps some of the issues and darker clouds surrounding it. Take us through what you're seeing on that retail side of things. Sure, Dom. So over the last year, we've seen retailers and brands completely de-risk inventories, right? So inventory is very low out there. So we've seen basically no promotions. All the earnings uh, reports have been higher gross margins year over year. So you think about Prime Day this year, I don't know if there are going to be so many deals out there because of the low inventories. However, Amazon, of course, is going to be pushing their hardware very strongly so that they can sell you more stuff. Um, I would also mention that today is 618, which is the second largest shopping festival, Alibaba's festival, behind 1111. So, so many brands will be pushing internationally as China is the highest growth market right now. I mean, so, so Stacey, we, we've spent a good amount of time on this network, and, and, and it has been for a while now, talking about consumer prices. We are hyper-focused on things like inflation. We talk about lumber prices and copper prices constantly because we are seeing pricing trends go higher. However, the juxtaposition of that is the consumer state right now is still the healthiest that some analysts have seen in quite some time. That's thanks to government stimulus checks. That's thanks to savings, all kinds of things that happened, ironically, during a virus pandemic. So doesn't that kind of balance things out? Are are people still able to buy because they've built up these savings and are still getting stimulus checks? Absolutely, Dom. All those things you've mentioned have been a game changer. If we had talked a year ago, we would have thought we'd be flooded in discounts right now. Not the case. Because, again, retailers de-risk and the consumer is in better shape than ever. Every earnings report out there has beat by 30 to 50 percent in retail. It's been incredible. So the, the, the idea of offering deals around Prime Day, around 618, will certainly attract that consumer's interest. And they'll certainly be willing to pay full price, even if the deals aren't amazing. And that's what we've seen over the last six months, thanks to saving rates and stimulus and all the things you mentioned. Is this a reset button for retailers, Stacey? Has the pandemic been a reset button? For, for, for now, because we've talked to you for, for about three or four years about this. The, the environment around shopping in the United States, especially during holidays, has become incrementally more promotional every single season. It's like a price war and the consumers have benefited. Now, can retailers say, hey, you know what, let's go back to our full pricing and then see what happens from here? Absolutely, Dom. It's an excellent point. And I think COVID, what it's done is clear the decks. It's done one thing. It's made retailers right-size their inventories. It's also made them push them to a position, position where they've learned to chase rather than overstock. And of course, for so many of them, it's pushed them to finally invest in the technology for real omni-channel pickup in store. And therefore, the whole industry is more profitable. There's more full price selling. I don't know if this will last, right? Because retailers are always tempted to get ahead of themselves when demand picks up. But, you know, I've, I've said before, for retail, COVID has been somewhat of a friend. That's terrible to say, but in terms of profitability and right-sizing, that's very much been the case. All right. So, Stacey, with all of those thoughts and insights in mind, there are a number of retailers that are still out there. We've seen even the brick-and-mortar ones come back roaring from some of the lows that we saw last year. In your mind, 
which are the companies, which are the stocks that people could, should look at the most in terms of seeing any potential more upside left in that retail trade? I, well, obviously, the stocks have had a huge run. The XRT is up 40%. But I still think you can absolutely own Target. It's, it is the new department store. It is replacing the department store, particularly with their private label business and their pickup and store being a higher margin proposition. I think Nike is still one of the strongest brands out there globally. Full price selling in footwear is still very much front and center, and it's the strongest brand globally. They're also doing incredibly well in China with the help of Tmall. So I think those are two to own. I think you can also still own TJX here as consumers go back to the stores and are still hungry for that treasure hunt. All right. Target, TJX, and Nike, the calls from Stacey Woodlitz. Thank you very much, Stacey. Have a nice weekend. Good to see you, Don. All right. A toy maker getting into the NFT world, an iconic 90s toy coming back in smartwatch format, and restaurant spending booming. Bertha Coombs is here with today's top trending stories for this Friday. Bertha. Hey, Dom. Mattel has announced a new line of collectibles, but they're digital. The toy maker plans to sell three unique NFTs starting June 22nd. The auction will run for a week. Mattel's president said the sale of digital art was, quote, an obvious step for the company. And 25 years after its first release, Tamagotchi is back. The virtual pet is coming back in the form of a smartwatch adapting to 2021 trends. So now you can make your kids cry if they can't keep it alive on their wrist. The new model features a touchscreen and voice controls and doubles as a clock and pedometer. It will go on sale in November for about $68. And consumers are now back to spending more at restaurants than they did do at grocery stores. Restaurant spending has been climbing back from its lows of April 2020. But according to the latest census data, restaurant sales shot up to an all-time high of over $67 billion in May, increasing for the third month in a row. And the U.S. Mint is issuing new quarters honoring notable American women. You'll see the first next year among those honored in what's being called the American Women Quarters Program, Maya Angelou, Sally Ride, Wilma Mankiller, who was the Cherokee Nation's first female principal chief, and the first Chinese-American Hollywood film star, Anna Mae Wong, and Adelina Otero-Warren, a leader in New Mexico's suffrage movement. Pretty cool, Tom. Kind of like that. It's, it's a great way to kind of commemorate all of the steps that we've seen happen for, for moving towards those gender equality issues there. Obviously a big deal. I, I'm also curious your thoughts here on the restaurant side of things, because I, I wonder what your personal experience has been, Bertha, during the pandemic. Did you actually spend more on takeout during the pandemic or were you one of the folks out there that did a lot of the grocery shopping to cook and stay at home? Yeah. I, I'm, I, I like to cook a lot, so I, I'm pretty sure that I cooked a lot. Although, that said, I did patronize our neighborhood restaurants when I did do takeout, more so than any kind of chain, because I wanted to make sure they survived, and they have. So the best thing was when we went back to our local Cheers, the restaurant that we usually go to every Friday, get together with friends, and we're all vaccinated. We all hugged. There we were at the bar. It was just, it was like Rip Van Winkle 
you know, the, the last year's troubles disappeared. You know, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because we, we have a favorite kind of sushi spot uh, not far from us in town where I live. And the entire time they shut down the restaurant only open for takeout. But I remember the first day they opened for seating. I saw the manager. She told she tells me, Dom, it's so good to see you again. And I was like, this is great. You've got things opened up again. She goes, yeah, people are coming back. And lo and behold, yes, even with, you know, some of the, 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 the closures, people just had this real inkling. The place was packed. Yeah, you just want to support your your local. I mean, they're your local business and, you know, you talk to them, you know them, you know the workers there, and you want to make sure that they're still there. And and it's nice to know that they were able to make it through. Fingers crossed it stays that way, the, the trends in business and everything overall. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much for those trending stories. We'll see you later. It's shaping up to be a big sports weekend, especially for a fan like me, as the 121st U.S. Open golf is underway at Torrey Pines in San Diego. More than 150 golfers hitting the public course. Public course. It's, you can play it. Looking to bring home the title and a $2.5 million check. The first round was suspended due to darkness last night. It will be completed later on this morning. Russell Henley and Louis Oosthuizen are your current leaders at four under par. There are plenty of storylines, though, to keep fans glued to their TVs and screens, including that feud between Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka, plus Phil Mickelson, fresh off his win at the PGA Championship at Kiowa Island, will once again pursue that elusive U.S. Open to complete his career Grand Slam. It's the only major he hasn't won. For more now, I'm joined by CNBC.com sports business reporter Jabari Young. And, and Jabari, I was watching it with a bunch of my friends yesterday afternoon. I watched it last night as well. It is on NBC Sports and Peacock. It is an NBC event in a big weekend. What was catching your eye with regard to the big storylines? I know that I'm watching guys like Xander Shoffley and John Rahm. Well, first of all, good morning, Dom. And happy Father's Day to you. Happy early Father's Day to you, all the fathers out there. And listen, I'm not as big as a golf aficionado like you or other people at CNBC, but I tell you, it's the feud. It's the feud between Bryson and Brooksy. That's what's catching my eye. That's, as a viewer, what's going to keep me coming back in, tuning in. If I got Game 7s on Sunday between the NBA games, I'm going to be tuning in, also looking at some hockey. So it's those feuds. You know, for a long time, I think people have this misconception that maybe golfers don't have the best personality. But when I see stuff like this, that engages me as a viewer because I'm a new age viewer i want to see the back and forth i want to see the rumbling and that's what i saw so far brooksy is holding up his end of the bargain he's what fifth right now it's only the first round but i want to see bryson get back up there he had a, a, a bad day uh, to the open uh but listen if these two guys are amongst the finals on sunday it can only mean great things for the pga tour it sounds so terrible to say jabari but one of the best things for the game and industry of golf was the virus pandemic. It brought so many more people in. It was an outdoor activity that was socially distanced by nature. A lot more people started playing, and then a lot more people started watching golf. I wonder if you think that yeah. this particular, the, the feud, the, the, the interpersonal dynamic between Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka, the, the, the rolling eyes at, at Kiowa, the, the jumping up to photobomb during his interview that we just saw there. Do you think that it's overall good to bring that many more kind of conflicts to the game? Do you think it brings eyeballs? 
Absolutely, it brings out. But listen, we're talking about it right now, right? You turn on all the, uh, the highlights across other networks. You see that this is one of the storylines that they're talking about. And remember, they got this player initiative pool that if you bring more interest and viewers to the sport, you get a piece of that $40 million that they put up. So golf knows what they're doing. This is great for the sport. And again, you get those young viewers back. Tiger's nowhere around to be found right now. I mean, listen, he, he's recovering. We hope to see him back on the course. But while he's out there, while he's still recovering, you can't help but to like stuff like this and then you got the match coming up between Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers you know Brooks is going to be in there and then Phil so excuse me not Brooks but Bryson's going to be in there and then Phil so I think that's going only going to help the engagement but this is definitely good for the PGA Tour I'm tuned in I'm going to be looking back and forth normally I may not be the biggest U.S. Open fan but this weekend they're going to have some of my eyeballs they're going to have some of my time how, how much also is this about I mean Jabari you and I both know this golf has been seen throughout its history as an elitist sport, right? It's closed off to so many people, yet in the past 10 or 20 years, governing bodies like the USGA, the PGA Tour, the PGA of America, the Royal and Ancient out on the European side of things, have taken massive steps to try to open up this game to more people. Do you feel as though seeing the U.S. Open played on a municipal golf course venue? I've played it. You can go up there. You can play it as a a non-resident, anything else out there. Do you think these public venues bring a little bit more relativity for those folks out there and opens up the game to so many more participants. Well, you know, listen, I've never been to Torrey Pines before, and I wish I was reporting to you live from Torrey Pines. Uh, but you, I, I can't say how it's going to hurt the game. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily going to help it, but it can't hurt it. What's going to help the game is that PGA Tour continues to do things like they're doing with with the, the, the great broadcast that they have. I mean, listen, the the, the AR uh, type AR augmented reality uh, when you see how far the bat the ball is traveling and uh, at, at the speed. I mean, stuff like that is only going to help engagement because the viewer, the TV viewer, is still what makes sports. And if you have a viewer locked in, I think it can only help the sport. Whether going to the, the course or opening it up publicly, I, don't, I have no idea. I remember when the U.S. Open came to the Philadelphia area years ago when I was a young pup. And I didn't appreciate it at that time. That's when Tiger was still in his prime. But I saw the many people that it brought out. And I was, like, really fascinated with how many things was blocked off and how many people was engaged with it. So I don't think it was going to hurt. But what's going to help is, again, you see those personalities come to light. And if you see those personalities... People are going to follow the sport, and that can only mean more viewership and more money for the PGA Tour. And speaking of, we haven't even had a chance to talk, Jabari, because we, we ran out of time here, but about the betting aspect of this whole thing as well. Jabari Young, we'll save that we'll, yeah. we'll save that for the next conversation very much. Thank you very much. Enjoy that sports weekend, and happy Father's Day to you as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Don. Coming up on the show, can the Bulls make a Friday charge? The Dow on a four-day losing streak on track for its worst weekly performance since January. And if you haven't already done so, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify, what your podcast app of choice is. And June is Pride Month. All month long, we'll be spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, and our own CNBC anchors, reporters, and producers. Here is Francesca's CEO, Andrew Clark. Earlier in my career, I felt like I was acting out the role of who I thought I needed to be to get my next promotion. My boyfriend, who became my husband, could not attend company events. My professional and personal goals seemed incompatible, and I was holding back the real me. I got fired from a role where I was delivering results, but my face didn't fit. I made a promise to myself, I would never be that boss. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange Futures. Right now, indicating a stable open for stocks, at least. The Dow is implied just about flat at the opening bell. The S&P flat at the opening bell. And Nasdaq outperforming by a whopping 28 points. Joining us now is Patrick Frizzetti, Managing Director at Hightower. I mean, Patrick, the, the, the tale of the tape this morning doesn't tell you kind of what's happened all week long. Tell me in your mind what has been the most important development for the markets this week? Is it the Fed and the interest rate forecast for the next couple of years? Well, thanks for having me, Dom. Uh, yes, look, two days ago, the, the Fed um, raised its expectations for inflation for the year and brought forward the, the time frame of when they may expect to raise interest rates, giving an indication of, of late 2023. Um, they also talked about potentially uh, tapering, uh, but gave no indication of timing. Uh, honestly, we've seen this week the dollar strengthen. Uh, materials and precious metals sold off a bit. But, you know, the reality, the Fed is doing a lot of talking and not walking. I mean, in, in all honesty, the Fed must continue to monetize if they're going to raise GDP. I mean, since the beginning of the pandemic, um, the Fed is, is, is really bought over 50% of total U.S. Treasury issuance. So total U.S. Treasury issuance of $4.5 trillion, they've bought over 50%. That's just an astronomical amount of money. And so the, this is really the only game in town, so we expect that to continue. And we don't, in the long run, expect the Fed to be able to uh, ultimately raise rates. So that's that's where we are today. So if the... Okay, um, I'm going to kind of take a couple steps back here. Sure. The Fed's sure. easy money policies have been in place since the kind of heels in the wake of the great financial crisis. We're, now we've got to go back to 2009, 2010, kind of that range, right? Yeah. It's yes. been in place for over a decade now. The stock markets have made a V-shaped recovery a couple of different times during that time span from the financial crisis and then even quicker from the virus pandemic. Is there a case to be made that the Fed is doing the right thing by keeping interest rates low if equity valuations are where they are? Or does the Fed need to? Is it its responsibility to take a more holistic view of what's happening with asset prices overall in this kind of a market? Well, I think they'd like I think they'd like to manage asset prices, but in reality, if if they need to continue to increase GDP, they have to monetize. There's no other thing they can possibly do. You know, when we listen to management teams um, and and speak to them frequently and listen to earnings calls, you know, the number one thing that that companies will talk about is their supply chain, right? So when you think about what happened during COVID, supply chains were basically frozen, and companies are willing to forego cost and efficiency frankly, for security of their supply chains. And by definition, if you're going to forego costs, that's automatically inflationary. So when you think about the Fed um, going forward, I, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for them to raise interest rates because an easy money, easy monetary policy, yes, it, it keeps asset prices inflated, but there's no way they're going to be able to uh, influence you know, social programs that the government uh, would like to do. Sure. And We'll see that going on for, you know, for, for many, many years. All right, Patrick, with all of that in mind, we got about 30 yeah. seconds left here. Your okay. stock picks, your industry picks, what are you buying? Well, we really like, we really like precious metals. And so uh, one example would be Franco Nevada. They're a royalty um, 
royalty and streaming company. They really don't take any op- they don't take any operational risk. They have a royalty stream of revenue uh, for gold and some other materials like iron ore. Uh, they have high EBITDA margins, north of eighty percent. So gotcha. you have a twenty billion dollar market company with 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 thirty five employees. I'd say that's pretty pretty decent risk reward. All right. Franco Nevada is a call there from Patrick Frizzetti at Hightower. Thank you very much. Have a nice weekend. and Happy Father's Day to you and yours out there. That does it for Worldwide Exchange here. Squawk Box picks up the coverage coming up next. Happy Father's Day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.